Well, now I know that you're you're snickering um, under your breath at my little outline that I have placed on everyone's table, and um, you're humoring me um, for he just wanted to write something. Um, actually, uh, what this is, guys, is a um, is as it says at the, the top, a brief presentation of the gospel. Um, it's um, it's. It's evangelism explosion that I learned when I was uh, uh, been a Christian like three months, and um, I, I don't know whether this is of, of any interest to you. But if you would memorize the Roman numerals, there's five of them, and the A and B under uh, each Roman numeral, you would have a skeleton of a presentation of the gospel. Uh, it's right there for you. I mean, uh, guys, I hope you'll recall that we got into this. Because of our study of the book of Galatians, you remember uh, in, in chapter 1, verse 6, where Paul talks about his, his opposition to the different gospel and how, <clears throat> and then he goes to extremes to defend the gospel. And so what I've sought to do in these, this little four-week stint is just to give you uh, a, uh, a presentation of the gospel, and that's what this is. Now, surely you understand that the gospel is richer than what you find on this little sheet of paper. Um, in fact, I think Paul would, uh, would have not um, started with these items. But this is in terms of a tool in the hands of um, a, a believer who wants to share his faith. It's a, faith, it's a wonderful presentation, methinks. Um, you got two little questions to get you into the, um, uh, the discussion. And then... Um, then those those five points there, guys: um, uh, grace, man, uh, God, Christ, faith, and um, those are that is a very simple and yet rich summary of the gospel. Now tonight, last week we ended uh, right down there um, um, in uh, Roman numeral three. Um, is that that under C there is sin punished? We talked last week about the holiness of God. Uh, everybody seems to know that God is um, is a God of love, but what they don't seem to know much about is that that, that there is a God whose uh, most dominant feature and dominant characteristic characteristic is His holiness, and that's what we did last week. Okay, so if if God uh, is whose eyes are too holy to even look upon iniquity. And the week before we talked about my sin, remember we had 66,000 of them, um, uh, that's a problem. If, uh, if, I have, uh, if I am steeped in iniquity and God can't stand iniquity in his presence, then what does he do? I mean, what, 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 that's a problem. I, I love you, Jimmy Young. I don't want to see you perish. But there's 66,000 sins I got to deal with. And so how does he deal with those sins? And that, of course, uh, is in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, which is Roman numeral chapter 4, or Roman numeral 4. That is, um, that God in his sovereign good pleasure uh, determined to deal with the sin of his people via um, a sin-bearing, suffering Savior, uh, who, of course, is Christ Jesus. Now, um, the the uh, the thing that 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 is in your is in the outline is who is he? Well, you know, guys, um, there's a lot of nice talk that goes on about Jesus Christ. Mormons talk nicely about Jesus Christ, but it's not the Jesus Christ that 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 we preach. 
uh, or, or that I think the New Testament uh, demonstrates. Um, who is he? Well, uh, he is the infinite God-man. He is, he's not just a good moral teacher, uh, nor is he a, a, um, a good moral man. He's neither of those things, ladies and gentlemen. He is God in flesh. Um, in fact, this, this whole idea of uh, Jesus being both God and man has got a nice, um, yeah, uh, hypostatic union. This will really impress those of you who like that kind of stuff. Um, the fact that Jesus Christ is both God and man is referred to under that title, the hypostatic union of Christ. That is, it, <clears throat> it's not that this half is God and this half is man, or this half is God and this half is man. He is, um, he is perfectly man and perfectly God in, in, uh, in, the, in the same person. He is the infinite God-man. That's who Jesus Christ is. And you, you remember C.S. Lewis's famous little quip um, is, that is, he is either a lunatic, a liar, or he is Lord. L- ladies and gentlemen, he is, he, he, he is he's anything but a good moral teacher if he is not God. Because he's wicked if he is not God. Because some of the things that he said um, uh, would be wicked coming out of my mouth. But if he is deity, they are perfectly consistent with his nature. So, that's who he is, but then perhaps more importantly, what did he do? Um, guys, um, the, the presentation calls it the, the, the great transfer. Um, <laughs> here's Jimmy Young. And uh, we're going to say just for the moment that this is not a Bible, but that all 66,000 of my sins are, are written in here. All 66,000 of them. And I don't want you to read this because this is really revealing all of these things. All 66,000 of them. And here's Jimmy Young. And Jimmy Young wants to go to heaven. But there's this problem. That 66,000 sins of his. And God looks from heaven and says, Jimmy Young, I love you and I don't want to see you perish. But I can't let this into my presence. My eyes are too holy to even look upon your iniquity. I can't let this in my presence. So... Uh, what does he do? The Bible says in Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord God has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. That's the great transaction that, that uh, the presentation is talking about. That is, Jesus Christ, God sends his son, living the life that I was supposed to live, and then dying the death that I was supposed to die. Um, how does God solve his dilemma? I love you, Jimmy Young. I don't want to see you perish, but I got to do something about that. He, he solves it in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. That is my sin on him. Jesus Christ dying in my place, in my stead, paying for my sin. There is a sense in which Jesus Christ is the greatest of sinners because it is not his, but it is mine. It is his people's. He dies in their place. Okay. So that seems to be uh, somewhat um, known. Um, okay, if, if, um, if, God, if I'm a sinner and God is holy and sin has got to be punished, how does he punish it? He punishes it in Christ. Okay, that's good news. But now tell me, how is it that what Jesus Christ, the benefits of what Jesus Christ did, how does that become mine? 
How does the work or the, the great redemptive design of God unfold and apply in my life? How does it become mine? Well, of course, the New Testament says that, um, that all of the riches of God is ours by faith. By faith, ladies and gentlemen. Now, that said, um, by the way, it's right here in that line. <laughs> right there. Um, that said, um, oh, we've got a lot of work to do. What is faith? Well, first of all, ladies and gentlemen, it is not an intellectual assent. Um, I'll do that in just a minute. It's, it's not just a, a, a mental awareness that Jesus Christ died on a cross. Um, you know the text in James chapter 2 that says, You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. There is an intellectual assent, ladies and gentlemen, that is not saving faith. It's faith, maybe. It's just not a faith that will save you. That's not saving faith. That's not the thing that makes me a Christian. That intellectual assent to some things that Jesus did. Um, it is also not temporal. By that I mean it's not temporary. I get myself in a mess. I get myself, I, I get a DUI, and I think, oh, God, you got to get me out of this, and I'll serve you forever. Um, things happen. You get yourself out, of, or you get out of the mess, but then God is left behind. A temporal or a temporary faith. It's not that. Saving, saving faith, guys, um, has has always been described as having three component parts. Uh, we'll, we'll use the Latin. Um, there's noitia. There's a sensus. And there's fiducia. Fiducia. <laughs> uh, forget it. Um, the three component parts of faith. Okay, let, let, me, let me illustrate all three component parts of faith. Okay, guys, this is just a, I bet you've seen this before, but, you know, I hope it'll help you if you haven't seen it before. We're talking about what is it that ultimately joins me to this Savior who has died in my place. Okay? Um, now, it's called saving faith, and it's got these three component parts. Here's how they look. I, I see that chair. It looks like a stable chair. It's got four legs to that chair. Looks like people have sat in it before. It looks like a chair uh, that would hold people. That's no issue. That's just having some certain information about who Jesus is and, and what he did. But then as I look back at that chair, I say, well, you know what? I bet you that chair would hold me up, even a fat boy like me. I bet you that thing would hold me up. I bet you if I sat in that, it would not break. Yeah, I believe that that chair would support me. That's a census. I'm assenting to the truth of those facts. But I'm still not trusting in the chair until I put my big honey in it and sit in it. That's called fiducia. There's, there's knowledge about the chair. There's an agreement about the knowledge that's been expressed. And then there is a resting in those facts that I know about the chair. That's saving faith, ladies and gentlemen. This is the element that seems to be missing in so much of what people call faith today. 
There's a lot of people, ladies and gentlemen, that know that Jesus Christ claimed to be God, that he came and he lived. I mean, it's in the Encyclopedia Britannica, for heaven's sakes. Josephus, the great Jewish historian, wrote about Jesus of Nazareth and and some of the things that he did. And it even mentions in his history that he got crucified on a cross. Just knowing those things aren't going to save you, and then even assenting that the things that you know are true facts are not going to save you, ladies and gentlemen. It's not saving faith. It's when you cast yourself on the and rely in in reliance upon that those things that you know and believe to be true uh, that that you have saving faith. Let me give you one more illustration, the one that I used to use all the time. And the reason I remember this is because I I I was taught it when when I was at um, in Fort Lauderdale. But when I was in Ocala, Florida, there was a a newspaper, a daily newspaper called the Ocala Star Banner. The Ocala Star Banner. And um, one Sunday, I get up, and on the front page of the Ocala Star Banner is a picture of a man by the name of Walinda. Carl Walinda. Uh, He was a member of the great uh, Walinda family. Um, The Flying Walindas, they call them. The Flying Walindas. Well, uh, it was in the spring, and um, it was at a Phillies baseball game, and it was back when the Phillies were playing in Veterans Stadium. And stadium they've moved into a nicer stadium now. But um, uh, as a come on, as a as a gimmick for the you know the opening day crowd, uh, they had Carl Belinda. It's kind of a you know get people in the stands kind of thing. And Carl, they stretched a, 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 a cable uh, from one side of the stadium to the other side of the stadium, and Carl Belinda walked across. Uh, Veterans Stadium, I guess it's called, maybe Philadelphia, whatever, walked across the stadium on a, on, on a tightrope or a cable or something. You know, they garbled under the flying one, you know, and there he went. And they had a picture of him on the, on the, on the front of the Ocala Star Banner, and I thought, well, how about that? That guy really does exist. Um, uh, he, by the way, uh, about four years later, he was blown to his death. They stretched a cable between two condominiums in Puerto Rico, I think, and uh, the wind blew him off and killed him. Uh, but his family goes on. I mean, the Walinda family still exists, I think, and still is doing tightrope walking. But anyway, uh, let's just imagine, because you know I'm such a baseball fan um, and was so excellent at the sport, as you might, might know. Um, but um, uh, let's say we're at the game. We're at the game, you know, the big game. The Phillies are playing the Cardinals, Bob's favorite Cardinals. And they're playing the car. I don't know who they were playing, but anyway, and uh, we're in the stands. And, you know, we're sitting there and we're having a big time. And, and, uh, and uh, the, the public address announcer comes on and says, uh, I believe, and, you know, Carlton is talking. He says, I believe that I can walk across Philadelphia Stadium with somebody on my back. Because we've just seen him do it at once. And he said, I'm going to go back the other way and I'm going to put somebody on my back. Well, you know, I'm sitting there and I think, boy, that was really exciting. And because I'm louder than most, I, I'm yelling, yay, yay, yay. I believe you can do it, Carl. Go do it. Get somebody on your back and go on over there. And out of the corner of his eye, Carl Belinda sees me and hears me. And he says, now look at that loudmouth, obnoxious dude. Uh, and so he walks over to me and he says, I saw you applauding. I heard you screaming. Do you believe that I can go across Philadelphia Stadium with somebody on my back? Oh, yeah, I think you can do it, Carl. Go get them. And then he says, get on. And at that moment, ladies and gentlemen, there is a crisis in faith. 
Well, here's the point, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus says he can get you to heaven. Oh, believe that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've been taught ever since I was in the knee to a grasshopper. Uh, it taught me about Jesus and, and, and uh, oh, I believe it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Went to, uh, Mrs. Harper taught me that in the third grade Sunday school class. Still believe, I still believe it. You, you believe it? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, um, come follow me. Well, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> not sure really about that. I mean, I've got some, I got a business, I got a career I got to worry about, and I got kids to raise, and you know, I got a bills, I got a mortgage to pay, and and you know, I'm not sure I can be, be chasing after you. You know, <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, if that's if, if all you got is an agreement that Jesus can get you there, what you don't have is saving faith. The thing that will ultimately save you, you don't have, because saving faith is okay. I'm going to get on. And if he makes it to the other side, I make it to the other side. If he trips, I trip. If he stumbles, I stumble. If he falls, I fall. Because the entire weight of my soul is resting on who Jesus Christ is and what he did for me. That's saving faith, ladies and gentlemen. Um, all this business that is that absolutely does nothing to change anything about you. I mean, that's not that's not the real thing, guys. The real thing climbs on Jesus and says, "Let's go." And where he goes, you follow. And what he says, you do. You know that he's the one that says, "If you love me, keep my commandments." Yeah, there's some commandments, guys. Jesus' commandments. And we keep those. We keep those because we are, we've thrown the weight of our entire souls on him. That faith, ladies and gentlemen, that saving faith is a gift. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. He says that in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. As you know, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the... <laughs> Gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Even the faith to believe, God grants you, ladies and gentlemen. Do you know why you believe? Do you know why you've got that? Because God gave it to you. God gave you that, eyes to see and ears to hear. He, when, he, when he exchanged your heart of stone and gave you a heart of flesh, mm-hmm, that's where you got it. You know, I'm reading this book, um, and, I, you know, very honestly, I'm embarrassed because I, I thought I had read it before, and I have not. I, I mean, I, I've quoted it before, but uh, somebody quoted it recently, and so I went to my library uh, in my office to look for the book. I was going to drag it out, and I was going to look at it again, and I looked, you know, half a day and, and couldn't find it. And so I concluded, well, dead gummit, I don't have the book. And so I got Cindy to order it for me, and, and it arrived, and... And sure enough, I didn't have that book. I've never seen the book. I've heard about the book. I, I knew the title of the book. I've quoted the title several times. Um, I, and I've quoted sections out of, out of the book, but I never read the book. And if I, 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 because the book was so small, I thought, well, if I'd have read that, I'd have remembered it. But I didn't read it. So I started reading it just a week ago. You can read it in three hours. It's by a man, a man by the name of Skoogle. S-C-O-U-G-A-L, I think. Henry Skoogle. 
And you know, all these hotshot dudes quote it. Um, it's, um, the title is this. The life of God and the soul of man. And he starts out in the first chapter and he says, Christianity is not this. It's not morality. It's not behavior. It's not emotions. It's not what the Puritans used to call affections. Emotions. It's not that. It's not, it's not intelligence. It's not knowing a set of uh, orthodox doctrines. Christianity is nothing more, nothing less than the life of God in the soul of man. Wow. You know, I was reading uh, the other day um, in my time with the Lord. I have, a, um, I have a wonderful time with the Lord each morning, most every morning, just about every morning. But um, um, Numbers chapter 9 and 10, everybody knows what Numbers 9 and 10 is, don't you? Oh, everybody just... It's, well, Numbers uh, chapter 9 is a story. It's a, it's a God relating um, all the sacrifices, the peace offerings, and the, uh, the thank offerings, and the, this is what you do with the peace offering, this is what you do with the sin offering, this is what you bring with that, and that's how you do it. And you, you know, all these instructions about bringing offerings. And uh, it's, you know, right as the Israel is establishing her worship, and, you know, you got Aaron and his sons, and, um, you know, he's got four sons. Um, I can name three of them, but, um, but, but anyway, um, then after they, after they have all these sacrifices, all this sacrifice stuff, and they do it according to God's stipulations, God shows up, the text says. It's in the last couple of verses of Numbers 9. God shows up in this huge fire, consumes their, their sacrifices, and all the people see it, and they, oh! And that's how Numbers 9 ends. You know how Numbers 10 begins? Now Nadab and Abihu, they offered strange fires to the Lord. Do you know who Nadab and Abihu are? They're sons of Aaron. He had four. Those are two. Another one's named Ithamar. I don't know the fourth one's name. But, um, but, but here's the point. Nadab and Abihu just saw God consume all that sacrifice stuff. And all the people, the very next verse, Nadab and Abihu offer strange fires. And you know what happens to Nadab and Abihu? Another fire comes and consumes them. Here's the point, ladies and gentlemen. How can you see what Nadab and Abihu just witnessed and then go out and do that? You want to know why or how? Because Nadab and Abihu do not have the life of God in the soul of man. That's who we are, ladies and gentlemen. That's who the Christian is. He has the life of God in the person and work of the Holy Spirit dwelling in the soul of man. That's what Christianity is. That's what we are. That's why we're so weird. That's why we, we, we are at, we're, we're such 
We're so counter to the culture because we have the life of God in the soul of man. Nadab and Abihu, they saw some big stuff and it didn't convert them. You know what converts them? You know what converted me? You know what converted you? The life of God in the soul of man. It's a gift. Now, guys, um, I'd love to believe that you're all here to hear me teach about this, but I know you're really here for the, the main event, which is saying goodbye to Clay. But, so I'm going to try to hurry through and, and, and quit a minute or two early. Guys, um, um, if you ever find yourself in a place where you can um, share the gospel, and you get all the way through something like this, or you adequately share. And, and, and by the way, guys, don't be fearful that you're going to say the wrong thing. I, I had an old friend of mine who was a, um, an elder in Ocala. He used to say, God uses some pretty crooked sticks to hit some already straight licks. I like that. <laughs> Y'all didn't seem to like it, but I thought, you know, he takes crooked sticks... And he had straight licks with us. Just, just share it. Go ahead and bungle through it. But should you come to the place where someone says, you know what, that's what I want. That's what I, that's what I want. I want, to, I want to be in relationship to that God. Then here's what you're doing next. What you're doing next is you're going to ask somebody to do this. You're going to ask them via prayer to say to God, I want to transfer my trust from the wrong God and place it in the right God. For the first 22 years of my life, ladies and gentlemen, I had the wrong God. And my God was just like any converted person's God. It was me. I was saving Jimmy Young with all of my good behavior. And so what you have to do to become a Christian is that you transfer your trust from the wrong God, which is an idol, and you transfer it to the right God, Jesus Christ and all of his finished work. That's how a person becomes a Christian. He stops trusting the wrong thing, which, by the way, in other biblical language is called repentance. You give up sin, ladies and gentlemen, and then you embrace the Savior. You embrace what Jesus Christ has done for you. You cast yourself. So you stop trusting your own self-salvation project. And you start trusting what Jesus Christ has done for you in his life and in his death. So you're just asking them to transfer their trust from the wrong God to the right one. Now, just real quickly, guys, um, one of the things that that so frightens uh, people from sharing their faith or sharing the gospel is that they're, they're, they feel like they're gonna, some, the, the person to whom you're speaking is going to ask you a question that's going to stump you and you're going to look stupid. Well, you probably will. 
<laughs> I mean, so will I. I mean, um, unless the life of God is in the soul of man. If the life of God has shown up, then, ladies and gentlemen, there's not a thing that you can say that would be bad. But there, there, are some, there are some common objections that people seem to raise over and over and over again, and they think they're brand new. Uh, they're not brand new. They, they, we hear them over and over again. And let me say, if you can, but, but gang, we're there to share the gospel. We're not there to share an apologetics course. So if you can, you preclude things before they ever come up. But the first one, as I bet you would guess, the one that um, people ask almost automatically is, well, what about the poor innocent native in Africa? Well, let me tell you what happens to the poor innocent native in Africa. He goes to heaven because he's innocent. The problem is there's no such thing as a poor innocent native in Africa. There's a poor guilty native in Africa, but not a poor innocent one. None of us are innocent. We're all guilty. But ladies and gentlemen, if, you, if you're interested in an answer or a reply to that objection, it's found in Romans 1, starting in verse 18, going through about verse 22. There it is. There's the answer. Uh, it's right there for you if you need it or if you, if you want it. Another one, well, I don't believe in the Bible. I used to love this one because um, it gave me a chance to say some things like this. Um, well, let me ask you this. Uh, if you don't believe the Bible, it's obviously that you have studied it through and through. Um, what do you think is the Bible's major message? And they, I mean, invariably would say something like this. Well, the Bible's message is how a person's supposed to live. I mean, it shows you just what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to live your life. That's what the Bible says. And then I get to say... Well, that ain't so. Before you reject it, don't you think it would be wise to know its real message? Or I could say something like this. I could say, um, um, you don't believe the Bible. Have you ever read it? Well, no, I haven't read it. Well, don't you think it would be wiser to read the thing before you rejected it? That's kind of what they call the jackhammer approach. (laughs) But, ladies and gentlemen, um, uh, very honestly, someone coming to Christ doesn't have to believe the Bible at that moment. But um, most people have a distorted understanding of what that book's all about. It's not about how to live your life. It's about redemptive history, what God did to save people in sin. That's what that book's about. It's, It's about how God has reclaimed lost men and women like us. That's what it's about. And then the other one is, well, I don't believe in hell. Well, um, um, Donna Dusenberry ran into somebody just recently and said they don't believe in heaven. I've never heard that one before. I've heard a lot of people say they don't believe in hell. Um, Well, I understand uh, it's a terrifying concept, but did you know that Jesus spoke more about it in the New Testament than he does heaven? Um, in terms of if you don't believe in heaven, you're in a minority of about four on the face of the planet because everybody believes in heaven. Um, I mean, everybody, I mean, all you got to do to get to heaven is die, according to the media, because they all believe that there's, everybody's there, and, and we're praying for everybody. Um, I, I, I can only say if you don't believe in heaven, you just don't believe Jesus. Because um, he said, I'm staking my life on the fact that I'm going to come back and take you to that place 
which is my Father's house, which is heaven. Guys, that's just a, a quick four-weeker. Um, I, I, I will take this home. I mean, or throw it away, whatever you like. But um, it, is a, it is a quick summary of the gospel. I hope it will help you if the Lord should ever give you a chance to, um, to share the gospel with somebody that you work with or a neighbor it would, um, that might help you. Now, before I pray and close, uh, let me do this real quick. Uh, while I pray, I'm going to get the, the Clay and Diana to come up here. Um, and then y'all, we, you, I, I thought there was going to be some cake. It's coming. Oh, great timing. Um, there's some cake and there's some coffee. Get a cup of coffee and some cake and say goodbye to the Yonces. We have a gift for him right up here in this little basket, Clay. It's, 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 it is perfectly you. I can just tell you that. Uh, perfectly you. You, you, uh, you, you you'll, you'll agree with me. Um, so uh, don't run off. You don't have to run off if you have to. Um, uh, we understand, but get a piece of cake. Oh, oh before, I, before I pray, I, I wanted to say this about Clay. You know, Clay is going to leave his mark uh, at Grace Bay, and there's, um, there's a couple of things that, that go on here at this church that are, that are purely the, the product of Clay's ministry. And they both start with FCA. <laughs> One of them is French Camp Academy. Uh, we have a relationship with French Camp, uh, which is, a, I've got a granddaughter now, but, the, but Clay started that thing long before my granddaughter ever went there. Uh, but we have a rich relationship with, the, with French Camp Academy because of the ministry of Clay Yance. And, and it continues, it goes forward, and they do sweet things at Christmas. It's just a wonderful, wonderful thing that, that Clay engineered, masterminded, and, and brought to pass. The other thing is another FCA, which is the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. We have a, we have a, a football camp here every August that I'm telling you is a tremendously successful thing. I mean, it's, it's, the, it's raved about, um, and that thing was the brainchild, once again, of Clay Yance. It's just two of the ways that, that Gracie Van is a better place as a result of, of Clay's investments among us. So I hope you'll come say, get you some cake. and, and uh, <laughs> Oh, no. <clears throat> Go right ahead. We'd... <laughs> that's that's why I didn't want to give you the microphone. That. <laughs>
Let me pray, and then you can come up and say, uh, so I really have a gift for, you. for me? Yeah. I got a gift for you. Oh, yes. I remember this. Uh, all it is is a T-shirt. Um, it says, Outstanding in their field. And it was <laughs> right before it was in 1993, and actually in December, I started working at Grace's Band in 1993. But really, the reason I framed it, it has some stains on it because this person <laughs> wore it all the time. But um, outstanding in their field. Dr. Young is outstanding in his field. He does a great job getting up here and preaching the word. And I can remember the first time we met with him, which was a long time ago, and we started talking about some things, and we left there going, what was he talking about? <laughs> I mean, it was like, whoa, 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 are we just going, I don't know these guys you're talking about. And over um, the years, just really the deep theological truth that he has given to me is priceless. And um, I will never forget that. And exciting, it's been exciting 20 years for me. And many of the people out here, we joke all the time about trips and stuff we've done. And just with Diane, what you said, the Covenant family, it's been a great trip for us, a great chapter in our life. Being with the Covenant family, traveling from Canada all the way down to Brazil, and just trip after trip, building meaningful relationships with people that will last forever. And so we're very thankful for the 20 years we've had with you. And... Uh, I have to explain, this is not a claim that I'm outstanding. The whole out idea was this, this building was never built. This, this one that we're in, this was a field. And they were outstanding in their field. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I didn't want anybody, you know, thinking I was saying I was going to. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Let, let's pray together. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we're, we're all grateful for the Covenant family. It is, a, um, it is a rich thing to be a part of. And uh, uh, we uh, perhaps take it lightly and have allowed things to distract us from, um, from its importance and put many things in its place. But we understand the, uh, the, the, the way that we need each other. And, um, and I, I pray, oh God, that in these coming months that you will give us even a richer appreciation. Um, do that for us as a church. Do that for the Jans family. Do it for us, each family as we seek to grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. 
Now, Father, um, bless our evening together as we enjoy um, a bittersweet moment. We, um, we commit it to you and do so in Jesus' name. Amen.